Hey everyone, this is Ben Blacker, the usual host and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Uh, before you enjoy this special panel, which is really cool, uh, moderated by my pal, the great Bill Corbett, um, please uh, know that we do this every week if you're coming here new. Uh, we have lots of great writers uh, from television and other things, uh, comics and books and, you know, movies sometimes. Uh, so please, you know, give us give us a listen, poke around, see what you like. If there's a show that you particularly like, I bet we've had a writer from it. Um, in other news, if you are a writer, and I know that many of you are, there's a great opportunity going on to come to Italy for two weeks uh, with me and my writing partner. We've been invited to teach a class um, in this program uh, two weeks of workshopping and getting your script into great shape. Uh, it should be really cool. I used to be a teacher. My partner, Ben Acker, used to teach at the Second City Writing Program. So bring your comedy specs. We also wrote on the show Supernatural um, and have developed lots of drama and comedy pilots. So we know how to help you uh, get your script into great shape. Uh, to find out more about this, go to Michelangelo. screenwriting.com that's michelangelo-screenwriting.com and uh, press program and you can see what we have planned and press register and register and come and join us again two weeks in Italy if you can't turn out an awesome script when all you're doing is eating amazing homemade Italian food and writing then you have no business being a writer in the first place yeah I said it controversial maybe Enjoy this podcast with Bill Corbett. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the writer's panel aboard Joe Co. Cruise Crazy 3. Uh, this is uh, theoretically for the Nerdist Writer's Panel, um, and we are at sea right now. I have a, a, a great panel of writers and creators up here with me, and I will ask them to just introduce themselves one by one, starting on this side. Uh, hi, I'm Josh Kagan. I am the uh, head writer and co-creator of Learning Town on Geek & Sundry. Yeah! I'm Adam Bernstein. Uh, you guys know me as Joko's bass player, but I also do a lot of songwriting myself and have a number of albums out under my own name and previous groups and had it for a long time. Uh, my name is Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm a writer and a comedian who writes things. <laughs> John Scalzi, I write science fiction, and I have a blog called Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> My name, which I omitted from this introduction, is uh, Bill Corbett. I am a member of Riff Tracks, and uh, am also a playwright and screenwriter, and uh, do a couple of other weird projects, which I may talk about. <laughs> Uh, 
My name is Randall Monroe. I do the webcomic XKCD, and I also write a physics blog called What If. My name is Molly Lewis. I write songs that have words in them, which uh, includes some kind of writing, I suppose. <laughs> My name is John Roderick, and I am a songwriter of The Long Winters. I have a regular column in the Seattle Weekly on music and culture, but primarily I am a Twitterer. That <laughs> is my, my primary form of writing. I have a book of my tweets that's been published. <laughs> yes. I will admit up front, I am an inexperienced moderator. Uh, I don't moderate as a rule. So I'm, I am mostly going to ask a question or two and then throw it out to you guys to ask questions of this amazing panel up here and then sit back and watch and try it. <laughs> Probably a bad word right now. <laughs> situation with that other shit. Um, You've doomed us all. Sorry, guys. <laughs> We're going down. Um, Triumph! The uh, the first thing I'd like to ask, because the, and and maybe the only thing I'll ask is because when at, we had a, a Q and A with performers the other day, and and we got into the weeds about the uh, the challenges of creation in general, um, and there are many. Of course, I think everyone would would acknowledge that, and they they uh, there's a full spectrum of challenges involved, financial, creative, you know, just just getting into uh, in, into patterns that work for you. But I'd like to start off on a, a slightly positive note and say what is great about being a writer and creator? And we can just go in any order here. Maybe John, Roderick? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, really, I'm, really, I'm really sabotaging myself here with this question. What's great about being a writer is that you set your own hours. Yeah, I have been living entirely on my writing now for 10 years and there's no more gratifying thing I write across a lot of different platforms and some of them are profitable and some of them aren't directly profitable it's hard sometimes to tell how you make money as a writer <laughs> but um, but it's a wonderful thing to live off of your own wits and your creativity and uh, that's uh, not a thing I can, I can compare to anything else, really. Molly? Molly Lewis? I'm going to obnoxiously identify people. Uh, You're the subtitles. audio audience. Um, my favorite thing about being a writer, writing music and, and tweets and things, is that the dumb crap that falls out of my head, people will hear and agree with, which is a very <laughs> validating thing. Randall Monroe? Um, I think that uh, as, as every elementary school teacher I had will attest, I pretty much just want to tell everyone every fact I learn all the time. <laughs> um, and when you have a website with a bunch of people going to it, you can tell everyone everything much more efficiently. <laughs> Mr. John Scalzi? Um, uh, I'm going to echo uh, what Ms. Roderick said. It's great to be able to keep your own hours and basically do your own thing. And uh, every once in a while, just for the fun of it, I'll just write something just to see what happens. 
and uh, sometimes it, it works and sometimes it doesn't, but the nice thing is that there's nobody to tell me, no, you don't, you have TPS reports. <laughs> Joseph Scrimshaw. Uh, a couple of things uh, I'm joyful about writing is that when you are writing and in the process of it, there is always a reason to drink. Because... <laughs> oh my God, man. You can't bring around to that. There, there's a Friends of Bill W. meeting somewhere on this ship. I'm walking you to it. I am a walking enemies of Bill W. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, was, I was thinking about in light of what John Roberts' immediate responses, which I agree with, about setting your own hours. And there are those moments of joy when it's 10 a.m. in my own home, and I'm either having a hard time with something or celebrating something, and I can do whatever I need to to work through that. And sometimes it's, I'm gonna pour a tiny sip of whiskey and either in triumph because I finished something I didn't think I would or just need a little something. And sometimes it's, you know, a walk around the pond across from my house, but it's really nice to be able to be in your own space when you're working and do kind of whatever you need to do. Um, the other thing that I find really uh, joyful about having, like a lot of us are writing over a lot of different platforms, Twitter, and I uh, write plays and I'm working on screenplays like every other writer. Uh, and I write for myself to perform, and with all the different mediums, there's a different level of how quickly you will be rewarded or validated, uh, and, and it's, it's fun to be sitting in your own home and have maybe an immediate validation on Twitter, or else just to get sit there and, and picture in order to keep yourself writing, how might other human beings react to this? Yeah, that, that imme I find that immediate validation there a, a little bit like a crack. Um, like the cocaine monkey keeps pushing the button for more. <laughs> As a writer, it's dangerous. It's fun, but it is dangerous. Um, Adam, Adam Bernstein. I was going to expand it to writing and playing, and I, what I think is so great about it and what I feel so lucky about is that I feel that self-expression is just one of the most important things of being a human and sharing that with everybody, and the idea that I could actually do that and survive and still pay rent it's just the most incredible thing ever, so it makes me feel very grateful, but also alive. Ooh, Josh Kagan. Uh, I mean, certainly it is not a job that most of the time requires pants. <laughs> and, and you cannot put a high enough price on that. Uh, <laughs> follow-up. Uh, <laughs> there is something really wonderful, and uh, uh, me and singing and songy, Paul and Storm, uh, as I call them, uh, experienced this on Learning Town in that uh, we sat around a table for about six months and had every idea on the planet about what we wanted to put into this show. And, uh, and then, a few months later, we walked onto a set, and every... I would say 99% of the crazy ideas that we had uh, manifested into reality. And that is as close to what your kind call a holodeck. Uh, it's, it's this weird cognitive dissonance that I came up with this idea just <coughs> sitting on the couch and watching Top Gear, and now this is happening. It came out of our brains, and now it's on a screen or a stage. And that is, that is truly magical. Cool. Um, I am, I'm interested in this idea of uh, writing sort of across platforms, as we're calling it, or writing in different genres. Um, I'll just tell you briefly about a, an interesting experience I had this year. Obviously, I'm known mostly for comedy writing and for rip tracks and mystery science theater, 
Um, and I started as a playwright. This year I had, in, in the last couple of years, I had this interesting experience of being hired as a librettist for actual serious composers to do kind of serious projects. This, uh, this, this last year, um, there was the, uh, the fifth anniversary of the, the bridge collapsing in Minneapolis. Um, and for some reason, this arts organization decided I was the man for the job to write uh, a libretto which would, which would be uh, done by a serious composer. Um, and I said, why, why me? <laughs> sort of, you know, a combination of being flattered and feeling a little burdened with the responsibility because it was a memorial for the victims. And uh, the, the guy who was the producer basically said, well, we kind of want someone who might be able to ride that uh, line between tragedy and maybe give it a light touch or, you know, he, he was familiar with my work in the theater too, but um, and it was awesome and daunting and scary and, and fun. It was like the best thing I, 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 I feel like I've done in a long time in, in my own way because it, was, because it was challenging. Not that I am denigrating my other work, but it just felt like, boy, that muscle has just been stretched and I, I love that. Um, and I'm wondering if anybody else has had that feeling of being out of their comfort zone and eventually just coming around to feeling really energized by it. And I'm not gonna, I don't think I should probably go one by one and just let anybody pipe in as they will. Um, I do a lot of stuff in a lot of different genres, right? I mean, uh, I worked on the TV show for a while. I'm working on a video game right now. Uh, I have a couple other projects I can't tell people about yet. Excuse me, this is John Scalzi talking. John Scalzi talking. Um, and I kind of have the opposite reaction to you, where you were asking, like, why should I do this? It's like, do you want it? As I get people come up to me, it's like, would you like to do this absolutely crazy thing that we'll pay you money for? And I'm always, yes. Um, because the, the idea is not so much to take advantage of every opportunity. You do actually have to pay attention to which things are going to be worth your time and which things are not going to be worth your time. And there's a lot of math that goes into that. Uh, but more of... Uh, every opportunity you have as a writer to expand your toolbox uh, is one that is possibly worthwhile. Because I spent those two years as a script consultant for um, Stargate Universe, I now know how to write a script. I went to I went to uh, you know film and TV school for two years and got paid for it, which was amazing. Uh, working on the video game that I'm working on now. I've, I've learned all about the video game writing process. Everything that you do is an opportunity. I kind of like, yes, let's absolutely can involve into this. And it may work and it may not, and I may hate everybody and have to kill them all in horrible <laughs> ways, or you know, make lifelong friends. However it works is however it works. But part of the creative process is getting yourself outside of those boundaries. Absolutely. I had a really great time uh, working. I've, I've written uh, two pilots for animated series. Joseph Scrimshaw talk. Joseph Scrimshaw. Uh, and one I wrote was an adaptation of somebody else's work. There's a web series called uh, Least I Could Do or a web comic called Least I Could Do and they uh, did a Kickstarter and raised a bunch of money to make an animated series and uh, they were looking around for somebody to write a pilot so I wrote a pilot based on uh, his strip. So for me that was a fun experience of lots of new things at once of, of getting really far away from playwriting so anything could happen. Also adapting other people's work in particular, uh, as a playwright, a lot of time I produce my own work. So as I'm writing, I'm really thinking of the reality of it and the practicality of it. How will I make that work? And I'm not the kind of writer who will write something without figuring out how am I going to make it work. So I don't let writer me produce, uh, screw over producer me. 
So there were some like beautiful moments in this pilot where I really got to have fun with, I'm gonna do whatever I want. And there was a time where I needed a lot of things to come out of a clown's pants. <laughs> of course. And it was just wonderful to, to be writing for an animated show that I did not have to produce. <laughs> and I will tell you how many things to draw to come out of that clown's pants, and it's not my problem. Did you specify what was coming out of the pants? Oh, yes. Yeah, that was Writer the, power. That was the longest part of the process. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Make your dirty witticisms into the microphone so they are not lost. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here drink my whiskey drink. <laughs> Anyone else? Cross-platform, genre-challenging experiences? This is John Roderick talking. <laughs> From deep in a well. <laughs> uh, I used to be afraid that writing across a lot of different platforms would uh, it was all drawing from the same well, and my primary writing is music, and so I would start to write columns or, or in, be very invested in what I was doing online and, and feel like I was maybe squandering my limited amount of writing ability on a thing that wasn't my primary writing. But now I'm, my attitude about it is changing, and I'm feeling like the more writing I do, the better. And it, it doesn't matter where or how. You know, you, you, you end up throwing away 80% of what you write, no matter what you do. And I'm just, uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity to write prose and write journalism. And those things don't keep me from writing songs. It's, it's masturbating that keeps me from writing songs. <laughs> write about what you love, John Rogers. <laughs> To learn to multitask. <laughs> what? what? Did I bring up some mental picture? <laughs> to be fair, one hand is free. Yeah, John, I've actually designed a one-handed keyboard layout. If you're interested, I'll send I don't. I don't use my hands to masturbate. <laughs> you have a moderator. Moderator. <laughs> I'm going to go out for coffee now. <laughs> John Roderick, prehensile tale. <laughs> will there be a separate uh, panel on this? But yeah, there will be a participation panel along with the sex party. I'll be hosting a sex party. We can cover uh, that later. Panel. It'll be three minutes long. <laughs> um, trigger warnings. We are. <laughs> I nerdist writers panel. We're talking about jacking off. Um. How about some questions from the audience? Anybody have any questions either to specific writers? Or what, uh, there's a microphone back there. Uh, step up and hopefully it'll uh, work. Hi there. Hi there. So since, since the last cruise I've started a writing project and I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of doing it and a number of people I know have signed up to, it's, it's, I send an email a week and uh, people get it and they read it and they like it mostly. Um, <laughs> How do I know, the question is, how do I know when I need to start like actively like marketing it? Because I, I sort of casually say, hey, I have this thing, if you want to sign up, do. How, how can I tell when I hit the point where I need to start saying, like being in people's faces, like, hey, this is my thing, please check it out, like more aggressively. What, what, is, what is the thing actually besides, what do you do? Can you describe it a little more? So every week I send one email, which is 
never more than a thousand words. Um, it's either an essay or like a comedy piece or like a list-based humor or something. Uh huh. And like one week it was an actual, it was a podcast, and one week it's going to be a video, stuff like that. But it's meant to be. It's meant to be sort of locking myself into this format of it has to be something I can send by email once a week. Okay. Any reactions to, to, a, to a mailing list? Yeah. Yes, basically. I try not to call it that though. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really good. It is really good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. And I think that's good. I tried. It's wonderful. Alice Lee, uh, what's, your, what's your Twitter handle? Just say it right now. Alice and stuff. Great. We got the ball rolling. Question answered. Alice, sit it out, would you? But let's get this marketing going. The thing's called Probably Never. It's at probablynever.com. You can sign up. Um, there are cards that are gray in the free stuff table, and there's actually the, the one I wrote for this week is printed out if you want to read it. But, but your question is, how do you how do you know when to start marketing? Right, because I don't I don't like every like my friends think it's good, and I appreciate that, but I don't know if it's objectively good. And what's the end result you're looking for? Yeah, I think I'd like more people to read it mostly. You know, the thing is, is that if you know that you want more people to read it, then you have your answer already. Don't okay. you? I mean, uh, let's not be let's not be precious about it, and let's put the ego aside. If uh, you know, the simple fact of the matter is, is you think you're at the point where you believe that it has application to people who aren't already going to support you because they're your friends, then you already have your answer. And what you're all you're basically looking for on this panel is validation. So, speaking for the panel, go. <laughs> because the mic stand's kind of short. Um, I'm Jim Kreider. Uh, I'm an engineer, and I currently design tools for subsea robots, um, which a lot of people go, well, that's pretty cool. Um, I also have so many other creative things running around in my head, and I find it difficult to translate. You know, I know I want to sit down and I want to write stuff, but then I'm also spending my entire day, yes, wage slave, uh, change of my uh, computer designing all this stuff, which is a creative process unto itself. So, for the folks who have started off, and I think most writers have started off as something else as they got their writing thing off the ground, um, how did uh, how did that translate for you? How did the uh, the transition work? Um, I was building robots when I started doing my uh, my comic. For I was building robots for a living, and and. I think really what I did was I just did a less good job at my job. <laughs> I'm trying to fix the Gulf of Mexico and not make more holes in it. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is if this is something that's important to you, you will find the time uh, to do it. Uh, everybody starts off with a day job. There are people who are writers their entire lives and had day jobs. The patron saint of the writer with a day job is Wallace Stevens, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning poet uh, and also a vice president of an insurance uh, company at two completely different spheres. Uh, when he won the Pulitzer for poetry, his co-workers were like, Wally did what? <laughs> Um, what you do, uh, simply as a practical matter, is take a look at your, you know, one, one week, just write down everything you do on a time schedule. Like, this is the time I work, this is the time I watch TV, this is the time I you, you do the Roderick. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, 
concentration of screaming in nature. <laughs> Look at your time. Somewhere in there you will have the time to, to do the thing that you want to do creatively, and it's a matter of taking time from watching TV. I know that there's a lot of Netflix Instant out there. The Netflix Instant will still be there, but your time that you have creatively won't be. Um, just figure it out and decide that you're going to do it. As uh, Cory Doctorow says that every day, whether he wants to or not, he writes 250 words. At the end of a year, he's got 90,000 words and that's a novel. Whatever it is that you want to do, make the time to do it just every day and don't give yourself the excuse of I'm tired or you know, if you're tired, do it the first thing in the morning. If you are busy the rest of the time, make sure you have something hard on your schedule to do it. Find a way to schedule your life so you have time for the creative thing. And the other thing is, and I'm sure someone else will amplify this, don't believe in the muse. You know, you have you have your 15 minutes or your 30 minutes or your hour or something like that. Don't wait to be inspired. Just sit there and write. And I think one thing that helps with that is to try to break it down from it being this big thing. Don't say, I have 15 minutes to start my novel. That's going to change my life. Take 15 minutes to write down three ideas if that's a comfortable starting point for you to just break it down into bit by bit because I think a lot of writers no matter how experienced they are it's hard to, to consider it as this big thing and you just break it down to chunks and then you, you pull back and look at it and are shocked that you actually finished this thing because you did it in tiny little pieces. Absolutely. And I would uh, say um, Sorry. That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> that uh, the negative thoughts that stop us from being creative are just thoughts. And we need to kind of see them for what they are and get develop a witness to them so they don't get in the way of us doing what we need to do. I, I would like to just tag onto what John and uh, John Scalzi and Joseph Scrimshaw said, relentlessly identifying people here. <coughs> um, yeah, thank you. I, I'm learning this moderation thing. Um, that that the, I, I found that the way to combine uh, being a disciplined writer. I mean, discipline, that, that word has a lot of negative connotations because you think of it as punishment. Uh, you know, there, there's at least one, one level that you think of it as like, I did something bad and I am being disciplined. But, but real discipline to me, I mean, if you think of it as a gift to yourself, this is the time that I'm giving to myself every day to do this um, rather, than, rather than, you know, something I've got to do, I've got to grind through. What, is, what has helped me and what I've try to teach students when I've given classes is that amount of time that you give yourself every day does not have to be vast. Um, I, th I think people think of it as like whatever spare time I have, I've got to grind through that, you know, damn novel or whatever. Whereas if you take, you know, and if you have a day job and mo most writers start out with, I mean, you cannot get away from the responsibilities of life. So everybody starts out that way to some degree. Um, if you just give yourself a unit of time, and you can start mercifully small every day, a half hour, <clears throat> say this is my time to do the thing that I want to do, I will set an alarm clock, I will write, and I will not stop, and then when the alarm clock goes off, I will stop, so it'll be over, and then I will be relieved, you know, but then, but then it'll accumulate, as Joseph said, day to day, and then before you know it, you will have some, you know, like something of real substance. Let, let me also take a moment here to give an enconium for the day job. We all, uh, there, there is the dream that people have, I will always be able to, you know, go off and, you know, just write for a living and stuff like that. But consider what the day job gives you. It gives you money. It gives you health insurance. It gives you a retirement account. It allows you to buy as much 
alcohol as you need. He's gesturing to Joseph. Yes. Um, but basically, what it does is it provides you that it provides you that safety net to do things, to learn, to grow, to experiment. So don't look at the day job as necessarily something that is holding you back. Look at it as something that affords you the ability to do the thing you want to do. There are two types of jobs. The job you do because you love and the job that you do that lets you do the thing you love. Think of it as the second. If you want to move to the first eventually, that's fine, but don't don't denigrate the day job. It's giving you a it's giving you a gift. But the next panel will say the opposite thing. But not, not, maybe not in answer to the question directly, but the thing to remember when you are transitioning from being successful at your day job to being unsuccessful at your first writing <laughs> attempts is that um, writing is a skill that you, that you develop and practice. And to start writing in middle age or to start writing after you've already developed a set, a set of skills like building robots or masturbating. <laughs> masturbating robot building? <laughs> uh, you know, robots come in two kinds. Butlers and sex toys. Most, most modern robots are butlers. But not for long. Uh, is that is that the critic in you is going to recognize that your early attempts at writing are not as good as um, as what you do normally? You know, you you're good at building robots, and you start to write, and you expect that you're going to be as good at writing as you are at the other things you're good at. And you try it, and you think, and the, the critic in you is this is is smarter than the writer at first, and uh, you recognize that what you're doing isn't as isn't as good as you'd like, and a lot of people, that is the end of their writing career. Um, they, they try it a couple of times, and then they, and they bail, and you, you, you have to recognize that the time you spent learning to build robots, you have to spend that much time learning to write um, before you'll be proud of what you're doing. I'd also uh, just, I, Josh Kirkman, I'd also just like to add, uh, find your community. Find other people with day jobs who want to write, uh, and this is only uh, hopefully not tangentially, uh, you know, associated. But it is important to have, for me, anyways, because people think of writing as a very solitary pursuit. Um, if you can find a community of people, if you can be accountable to other people and have other people be accountable to you, that is worth its weight in gold. Um, you are not alone in this boat, uh, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and we're all so magically connected by the internet now, uh, it will be very easy for writers just getting their start and uh, to, to give each other deadlines and to read each other's work. My wife and her friends do this and it's invaluable. They've published poems, one of them had her first novel published, it's super important to know that you're not alone. Great. Um, I want to be respectful of the, the line that is taking place here and to other people. You're, you're very welcome. I, I'd also add, feel free to address uh, individual members of the panel about their own work if, if you are so inclined. Sir. Yes, uh, thank you. Welcome to them. I'm so glad that all of our distinguished analysts are, are here this, this morning. This is a real treat. Um, my name is Brett Glass, and I have worked as a prolific non-fiction writer, and I've also worked as a professional musician. I'm currently doing something completely different, but I want eventually to come back to making art. And the question I have for you 
is uh, well, one thing that I desperately fear is that at some point I will write a hit, and that after that, my entire you know, everything else I do from that point on will be repeating that same hit over and over again, perhaps boring people. Um, that, that if I write a book and it's successful, that I will give the same book talk a million times and be asked the same questions a million times, and, uh, you know, and, and, that, and that, that would get. Uh, get rather boring. Why are you looking at me just at Scrimshaw? <laughs> You're a very attractive man. <laughs> Eyes move and they gotta land somewhere. And so uh, uh, even when I, I find that even now when I write something and I perform it, after two or three times I'm going, no, I don't want to do this anymore. But people have already heard this and they're bored with it. How do you keep it fresh, especially if you're a performer? Or again, if you're an author who goes and gives talks, and you feel like you're repeating the same, presenting the same material again and again and again. Fear of writing something popular. <laughs> I will say you should have such problems. I get what you're saying. Uh, I will put that open to the panel, though. Uh, I I would like to. I just a scrimshot. Uh, I turned to Slash from Guns N' Roses uh, because I read an interview with him many years ago where someone was really trying to give him a hard time. He's like, how do you feel that Appetite for Destruction, your first album, was like brilliant in a classic and everything else was like, Meh. And Slash was like, I made a brilliant classic. <laughs> I really don't give a fuck about the order. <laughs> I'm gonna travel the world playing guitar. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a novel that's called Old Men's Work. It's my first published novel. <laughs> Uh, it's sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It's in 20 different languages. It's currently being made into a movie with a fucking Wolfgang Peterson directing it. You know, he's got a couple of Oscar nominations. Uh, and people have always, and people do ask me, it's like, what do you do that may be the book that you're most famous for? And I'm like, oh, so you mean that there will be a book that until I die will always be in print, will always give me a royalty check every six months, and will allow me the freedom and opportunity to do whatever I want without regard of whether or not I will have to pay for my mortgage that six months. My life is fucking awful. <laughs> Again, you know, uh, just as you think of the day job as the, you know, the thing that can give you the safety net. The old man's war is the thing that gave me the opportunity to do so many different things that, uh, you know, when people talk to me about that book or people talk to me about, you know, when is there going to be another book in the series and stuff like that, I look at it as the gift that allows me a certain amount of freedom. And this is really a half empty, you know, glass half empty, glass half full sort of, sort of thing. Um, you know, yes, you know, uh, you know, Rick Springfield will always play Jesse's girl. Uh, you know, uh, our, our friend Jonathan Colton will always play Still Alive or Code Monkey or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you know what? Um, that's fine because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, uh, everybody basically who's ever been successful more or less is remembered for that one thing. And you have that one thing. What, what, what's the complaint? <laughs> Anyone else on that? I fell asleep. What was the question? <laughs> it, was a, it was a deeply personal question about you, Molly. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I will address that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are times when we're doing our uh, riff tracks writing 
where it, it is not easy to write, believe it or not. It, it, is, it is really kind of painstaking to do it, to do it well, at least as I consider it, you know, up to my standards. Um, I try, to, you know, we try not to do the obvious thing every time to change it up and change the point of view. So it takes a lot of time. And there are moments I go, ugh, doing this for so long. But then I, I come to my senses and realize this is giving me a, a living. And it, and it allows me to do something like uh, what I'm doing right now, which is writing a comic book, which I've wanted to do for so long. Um, and I don't have to like make that work financially right now because I am doing my other thing that... So I, I, I'm just seconding what John Scalzi said about affording the freedom to do other creative stuff as well. I'd like to second what you said. Thank you. I think we can gavel this meeting now. Let's go out for drinks. Next question. Yeah. Sir. Hi, my name is Andrew, and... Hi, yes. Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, Joseph. It's turned into a tense. It's, it's okay. Tense. Tense. That's good for me. Unless you don't count. I admit I have a problem with counting. <laughs> okay. So there are uh, a lot of different career lengths represented. Um, not to not to uh, make any age comments. Uh, and then a lot of different what? Career lengths. Career people who have been doing this for a while. Got it. I was hearing links. Sausages. He's saying you're old and Molly's young, Bill. This is the way of life. That was friends. not where I would have gone with the sausage comment, but okay. <laughs> Don't be so shy. Just blurt it out. We're, we're all we're all pretty tough people up here. So I was just curious, what has changed about starting out? Um, over the years, especially as some of the mediums have been created and evolved uh, as time has gone on. Randall and Um I think everyone who gets to make a living doing creative stuff is really, really lucky. Um, but I think that, like, starting out when I did, you know, which was in the last the last decade, doing comics, when I compare that to uh, to the, the people who I grew up reading, like Bill Waters and Calvin Hobbes, you know, he shopped Calvin Hobbes around for five years before he got it published anywhere, you know, and that was five years of working some other job, and and you know, I started out and, and then he got lucky, and I started out and I got lucky, and it was you know, I started drawing at the end of 2005, and I was doing it for a living in the middle of 2006, and I think that that that, that the internet has sort of accelerated a lot of the paths in a way that that for for a lot of kinds of things you can if you get lucky you you can get lucky in a much you know like there are there are a lot of much shorter paths or much uh you know there are all there are all these different paths available and uh and it can still take forever but but there are a lot more options than there used to be not to be um anti-internet in this room <laughs> defend myself against you nerds. <laughs> but uh, it used to be that there that, that there were very few portals to the to the big world and um, and that meant that in order to succeed you had to really struggle and struggle against a tremendous adversity and a lot of probably really good art didn't make it all the way. And now we have the luxury of self-publishing, and most young artists that I meet in song and story uh, self-publish first, and 
that is that is a great freedom, but it also produces a kind of a kind of laziness on all of our parts that we're, we self-publish and we we develop a small fan base and that that works that that seems good yeah, but we're not struggling against quite as much adversity and that lack of struggle uh, I think often keeps people at the level of good rather than creating those 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 greats you know Bill Watterson made Calvin and Hobbes one of the greatest pieces of art of the 20th century, and I can't imagine that the five years he spent trying to sell it didn't hone it until it was absolutely, you know, absolutely flawless. And the ability to self-publish means that a lot of us are like, yeah, that's great, I've got, you know, 15,000 Twitter followers, doing good. And there, there's, there are pluses to that. I mean, my own career, I never achieved great success, but I am able to make a living as a writer. Um, and as a 44-year-old songwriter, 25 years ago, there, there were no 44-year-old songwriters making a living. I mean, there, guys like me would be playing in a bar. Um, a guy like Jonathan Colton, who's a niche artist, wouldn't have ever found this fan base 25 years ago, because the major labels wouldn't have let him do it. So those, those are great pluses. But we don't have as much adversity to struggle against, and so what we see now is there are a lot more writers, and I think a lot fewer truly great artists. Um, not to denigrate anybody here on the panel, I think you're all amazing artists. John Scalzi, you are an amazing artist. I know what you really think. <laughs> but you're going to be the first one killed when we go on a landing party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm Wiley. And I'm stringy and gamey, so you don't want me anymore. <laughs> I actually want to know what Molly thinks about yeah. this. Yeah, no, speaking as a not truly great artist, um, <laughs> because I had, <laughs> I had the good fortune of becoming noticed and known on accident. I posted videos on YouTube for my friends, and they got discovered. And there was suddenly this sort of people looking at me, expecting me to write more songs. and. I didn't have the five years of, you know, the Bill Watterson-esque, like, shopping my music around and, like, honing my craft and getting that fire in my belly, like, I'm going to top tops of the pops, I'm going to make it. Like, I had none of that incentive and I had none of that drive. I was just writing songs for fun and my friends wanted to hear them. And then the rest of the internet showed up to the party. <laughs> and and it's it's been strange for me the last few years trying to figure out, I didn't know where that that those ideas came from. I didn't know what part of me to mine to create more songs. And it's been weird to go through that process in the public eye. And without the internet, that wouldn't have even happened. I would just be making mixtapes for my friends. And it's, it's a brave new world because there's people in it. <laughs> I think one of the cool things about the internet process is that there is a divide that I think we have a lot of respect as a culture for very, very polished, finished products like we always have uh, with like a truly great film. But I think there's a developing just love of being able to watch a human in a pleasantly voyeuristic way uh, <laughs> in, in, in watching them go through the actual normal human struggle. And I think that's a lot of why people love Twitter, why they love internet artists, because we get to see every element of how they got to the final product. But that's a but that's like the social aspect of it. 
but it, it isn't a, it isn't about the art. You know what I mean? Like the the, the social sharing that we all enjoy is uh, like a hundred years from now, all that will stand is the art. That Were you joking about your book of tweets? <laughs> no. Th- then I see. It, well, then that is a product that you slowly created, right? Oh, oh, of art. oh my, my tweets are badass. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's not, a, it's not a book of tweets about my lunch. <laughs> oh, but if it was a very amusing tweet about your lunch, it could be in there. No, I but it's ruthlessly a- <laughs> excise all tweets about food. <laughs> That's part of my creative so you're process. Lying. It's a part of your life. And a part of your, if there are no fucking taco tweets in your book, I'm not buying it. <laughs> the thing is, is that what what we what has created what has been created over the last ten years is a social milieu that has a different creative dynamic. It's not neither it's neither better nor worse than what came before, but it has certain advantages and, and disadvantages. Um, I came out uh, with my book. In 2005, but I originally put it on the on the web in 2002. Uh, so I kind of kind of bridged the, those two dynamics. And the thing that I always tell people is the old way has its advantages. Uh, there for a certain type of author or a certain type of artist, it's going to be extraordinarily helpful. But th- at the same time, um, you know, in science fiction, we had this guy named Hugh Howey who just put his up, stuff up on Amazon. It sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Then he got became professionally published. There is, there is still a winnowing process. There's still respect for a uh, you know, leveling up as it, as it were. I do think you are absolutely correct, John Roderick, that there is a, that there is a honey trap of the internet uh, that you can just always be like, you know, popular to 1,500 people. But it's the same honey trap that happened with lots of bands and lots of different scenes where they were locally famous and they just kind of like, this is fun. Right. And, and I think I mean I I use bands as my as my matrix in thinking about this. There are a lot more bands now, yeah. and there are a lot fewer great bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I feel like you know, just as someone who reads comics, like uh, the comics I read that that are out there, I feel like there are comics that that have easily like as much you know, craft put into them, and like, I mean, I'm just sort of picking it random. There, there was this comic Copper that ran for a little while that that was, you know, beautifully drafted in every panel, and it was like, it was gorgeous, and it was like the kind of thing that you wouldn't have, uh, you know, for, for quite a while in the newspapers, you wouldn't have seen. Um, I think that it's a lot easier to see the, the unsuccessful stuff or the stuff that isn't really as carefully done in and so that sort of counts into your mental average of what's out there. Yeah. But at, you know, the bottom line is that there that there are, you know, seven billion people in the world, and each of them are awake for about sixteen hours a day. And like, there are a certain number of eyeballs out there, and like, to get, you know, you can only get so many of them for so much time, and that's it's about the same amount that it's always been. And you know maybe maybe it's getting divided up differently now. I maybe mean, more people are looking at a few you know smaller things than everyone watching the same TV channel. But you've still got a you've still got the same struggle of there are more people making things than there are people looking at them. And you know, and that that sort of ruthlessly you know winnows it down in the same way it always has, just through different mechanisms. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left, so I'm going to try to get through a couple more questions. Trying some moderating here. Trying okay, to be quick. 
Um, I'm a songwriter, and I go through the process of editori editorial process um, as much as I can when I'm writing. So I was wondering if you would mind sharing how what your standards are for yourself. How do you how do you figure out what that level is, and what do you what do you uh, how do you know what to keep back and what to you know not that it's an answer for everyone, but just sure. for yourselves. Anyone have a quick pithy answer to that, Adam? <laughs> Um, edit your answer is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not that much. That's helpful, thank you. I just think it's good to keep writing, write, 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 record what you do, and then try to get a little bit of distance from it and see what you think. I just think when you start to think so much about it and edit so much, it just like kills the spirit of what you're doing. And sometimes you don't know if it's good or bad. You have to see, you know, have your baby and take a look at it. I, I would PS to that 100% of the time you don't know if it's good or bad, speaking personally. Anyone else on that? Well, I mean, you can, you don't have to show people every song that you write, but it's important to sort of can it and preserve it, use Evernote or something to preserve all the song parts that come out of your head. Because if you have a song that you don't like so much or that you don't think is going to do well, you can later cannibalize it for parts and put it in another song. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, right now, edit later. Yeah. We all make the mistake of editing in the middle of writing, and that's just the death of things. You know, write it, and then then decide. Great. We have, uh, do we have three more people lined up there? Yeah. This one? Okay. Sir. Yes, my name's Brian Geiger, and I'm reasonably comfortable with freeform writing anything that's just one word follows another, but I was wondering if you had some tips for, you know, aside from becoming a, a science fiction television series script consultant, for learning how to do very structured writing uh, in, in limited... Uh, I resent that you don't think my way was right. <laughs> I just don't know how to follow it. <laughs> well, but that's actually something that's true with everybody. Everybody finds their own path. I mean, uh, I think one of the one of the great things to do is try a whole bunch of different things. Try a bunch of different processes. I'm someone who doesn't do outlining because outlining drives me insane, right? Uh, but I have other friends who outline uh, because if they don't do it, they will be driven insane. Try everything. See what works for you. Uh, the things that work, you know, put them in your process. The things that don't work. Uh, then uh, just toss them aside uh, and basically learn uh, what, what path works for you. And also relax about it. Everybody does everything a little bit differently. I mean, one, of the, one of the great flaws of having one of these sorts of panels is you know, you know, we're speaking you know, ex cathedra here, but the, but the simple fact of the matter is each of us has a separate process and that's a process that works for us. Some things will be generally useful and some things won't. Use your own critical understanding of who you are as a person to know what's going to work for you and what's not. I, I will PS that quickly to say that uh, that process changes for me over time and from yes. project to project, yes. sometimes snaps back project to project. Josh, do you have anything to say? You've been kind of quiet over there. Um, as, as far as... Uh, what was your question? So as far as learning, so what is the sort of writing that you want to do as you're moving away from freeform writing? Uh, I like to, I, I just like to experiment with all sorts of different things, but I know if I've ever think doing something like a script, it's like, well, I have to learn the formatting and I have to learn where the... Oh, well, I mean, technology has made that very easy. If you yeah. want to just, if you want to get a shareware screenwriting program, then you 
literally just have to learn that and never have to think about it again. Uh, it, there's so much media to be consumed. If you want to write a comedy, go watch a million comedies. If you want to write a sci-fi novel, buy all of Mr. Scott's novels. Uh, I agree. <laughs> um, and uh, I was uh, I was talking to another writer on the boat yesterday, and he made a really interesting point uh, that uh, he. Uh, in wanting to learn how to, say, write an hour-long TV series, what he can do is he can rent every DVD of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and just watch it with the writers or with the Whedon's commentary track, uh, and he'll actually be talking about how he wrote that scene. And that is... Uh, that's the same, not exactly the same thing, but darn near the same thing as getting to have that actual standing by someone's side and watching them do their job sort of experience. Uh, it's out there. Awesome. I'm going to try to squeeze in one more question. We have about five minutes left or four minutes. First, a bit of a comment, and this kind of goes into the next question. Um, question, question, question. question. Four minutes left. <laughs> Okay. My, my question is about um, scheduling your time. We brought up earlier about uh, odd hours and stuff, but you know, staying away completely at 2 a.m., you have that idea, really throws off your schedule. So how do you moderate that impulse to want to do things at odd hours, uh, um, even though you enjoy that, um, and still maintain your health and other things that are, are part of being over 20? Anyone on that, quickly? Um, I think one thing that uh, I try to do sometimes when I'm, I'm going through a rough patch is accept it, and I still make a rigid sort of to-do schedule, just, but I just make it written out as the bullshit I know I'm going to do. Like, stay up too late, get up late, screw around on Twitter, avoid writing for an hour, force myself for an hour, and a couple times it's kind of got me through the rough patch, just the sort of absurdity of writing out, this is what you're actually doing, it's okay to do it. In, in this kind of horrible process as long as you get something done. My own process is when I wake up at 2 a.m. with a really, really good idea, I go as much as I can immediately back to sleep, and if I wake up in the morning and that really, really excellent idea is not still in my head, it really wasn't an excellent idea because I'm no longer thinking about it. Um, ideas are super, 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 super easy. Um, you know, you can pack and have five ideas right now. Um, but uh, the really good ones are the ones that are going to stick with you. Uh, when I gestate for a novel, as I like to think, I've got usually about 20 ideas rolling around, and the one that survives two years of being in my head is the one that drops down and, and, I, and I start writing. The process of actually making a schedule is more important in many ways than the process of waking up at 2 a.m. Um, I just want to say the, the part of the iPhone that has the mic, what is that called? It's the greatest invention of all time. And like, I use that all the time. You wake up two in the morning, you struggle to get it on, you say what you have to do, or sing your melody or whatever, and you are good to go. And you can check it out in the morning and see what you think. Yeah. And with that, we should probably wrap this up in deference to the next event in here. But I would like to quickly thank uh, these people who got up early after spending a late night. Uh, Mr. John Roderick. Thank you.
Now leaving Nerdist.com. 